Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Father-Son Packers podcast, your source for Packers news, notes, and analysis. My name is Tommy, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, my dad, Matt. Dad, how are you doing? All right. Recording today on uh, Boxing Day, where I'll just call it three days of holidays, celebrating and feasting, where I'm hoping that the reports that chocolate might actually be good for you is true. And none of the food that you eat during the holiday season goes towards the weight total. Like, that's just, it's, it doesn't get added on. You know, this is a different window. but yes. We are here, like my dad said, on Boxing Day, breaking down the Packers' 33-30 to win over the Carolina Panthers on Christmas Eve. We took an extra day to get this analysis out to you because of the holidays. Thank you for being patient with us. But a lot of interesting things to talk about in this one, Dad. Maybe a bit of a more high-scoring game than people were expecting, at least for one team. Especially for the Panthers. I was going to say, especially for one team. We'll be talking all about that, don't you worry. There will be some ranting and raving. Before we get into that, though, just wanted to pitch a couple of things, if you like what you hear today. Come give us a follow on Twitter at Father Son Packer. We tweet out when we have new episodes out, stats that we find interesting when we're researching for these uh, episodes, articles we find interesting, videos we find interesting, pieces of Packers news in terms of roster additions or injuries, etc., etc. One-stop shopping for everything Titletown. You know the drill. But once again, that's at Father Son Packer on Twitter. And then subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, etc. We even put all our episodes out on YouTube as well. If you want to follow us there or subscribe to us there, it would really help us. It would really help our uh, numbers in the algorithm. So yeah, come give us a subscribe, come follow to us, etc., etc. But Dad, let's get into talking about this game. And you know, let's always start with the worst part. And that is the injury report. Um, pre-game, we did get some good news, though. This was Jair Alexander's first game back with the Packers since week nine. He had been dealing with that shoulder injury for a little over six weeks now, and it really been giving him some trouble getting back to on the field, had really limited his ability to tackle, apparently. He had been able to practice, but, you know, wasn't able to play at the level of contact that he needed to. Um, but now, Dad, he was back. And then the other piece of news, which was unfortunately not so positive, is mid-game, Dontavian Wicks, uh, Packers, you know, I would say, you know, young and upcoming stud of a receiver left had to leave with a chest injury at halftime. Uh, did get x-rays during the game, and those x-rays showed no broken ribs, apparently, according to him. Um, but it does seem like, you know, his status for this coming week is also maybe a little bit questionable. So, you know, not too long of an injury report in this one. Devondre Campbell, the Packers inside linebacker, also did not play in this one. Um, beyond that though, dad, it does seem like we're maybe getting a little bit healthier as the season goes. Although, you know, receiver wise, we're starting to lose some folks because Christian Watson right. and Jaden Reed, Reed didn't play. Also and didn't play we, in this we finished one. the game like half the game without Wicks, which he got a touchdown in before getting hurt. Yes, he did. But, he managed to keep it up the pace a little bit still. Um, but yeah, dad, anything stand out to you on that injury report or do you want to get into our, uh, the meat of our game breakdown? Let's get into the meat of our game, uh, the game breakdown. It's, uh, you know. First, we'll celebrate the Packers, Packers win, however we got it. However, however we got it, we might not have covered the spread, but, you know, we did win 33-30 to 30 on the road. Um, biggest moment of the game, though, Dad, uh, this is per ESPN win probability. It's um, just a really weird win probability yeah, profile. Take it away. Take it away. So, what do you got you know, so getting, like, as we go by an actual win probability for the biggest play of the game, the biggest swing in win probability is, not surprised, happened on the very last play of the game where the Panthers got the snap off, but couldn't spike the ball before the clock ran out. So the Packers' win probability went from 67.5% to 100. Yes, because with the ball in field goal range, you know, the odds of the Packers winning with the lead there, you know, still decent because the Panthers would have had to make the kick, go to overtime, and then win in overtime. But uh, they were not saying that we were overwhelming favorites there with that three-point lead and a 49-yard field goal to come. And the other interesting thing is, the second you know, highest swing in the game in terms of win probability was the play right before 
where the completion to Thielen to get them within field goal range, where they could almost get the ball spiked, that changed the win probability from 88.5 Packers to 67.5 Packers, so a 21-point swing. So we had two plays in a row with a 21-point swing and a 32.5-percent um, swing. There's nothing like rooting for the Packers, huh, Ned? There's, no, there's <laughs> nothing quite like, like a yo Getting the yo-yo on those last couple of plays. Yeah. But, Dad, that is our play of the game right there. And hard to say anything else. I mean, might not have been the flashiest play. Might not have been the best play for the Packers. But, you know, it did it did swing the, uh, swing the win probability quite a bit in this one. Um, but, Dad, let's move on to the offense here and start with them. Because I do think there were a lot of positives from the offense to take away from this game. Um, but let's start with what they're saying. Um, this quote is from Romeo Dobbs about Aaron Jones. Uh, quote, that's how he's been. He's been that dude. It's easy outside looking in to speak on what he's done. He's had some trials and tribulations throughout the course of this year, but I'm not surprised that he played the way he did because that's how he always plays. And Dad, you know, let's just start with that. Aaron Jones in this game, I think the first time we've really seen him back to, you know, the Aaron Jones we saw week one against the Bears, wouldn't you say? Yeah, he looked really good. And he's actually, you know, going, I'll just, I'm going to jump into the good things because he was one of my good things for this game. He just makes the running game look completely different when he's out there. It's the first 100-yard game rushing or receiving by any Packer player this season with 127 yards on 21 carries for just over six yards per carry. It was his highest yards per carry of the year, and he also had his longest run of the year of 39 yards, in which he looked just really good doing. Mm-hmm. Um, according to Next Gen Stats, Jones was fourth in the week in, uh, um, in, in week 16 in rushing yards over expected per attempt. And second in just total rushing yards over expected. That's why RBSDM, um, no, sorry, that's next gen stats. His overall PFF grade on offense was an excellent 81.4. And he finished fourth in the league in missed tackles forced and sixth in yards after contact per attempt out of 50 qualifying running backs. In this week, yeah, right? In this, this week, week 16. This yeah, week. I mean, he was a monster out there. Like you said, he was the first uh, Packers running back or receiver to go for 100 yards this season, rushing or receiving. Um, He had, in the end, 21 carries for 127 yards. That's about six an attempt. Didn't end up with a touchdown, but did have that one long run. And, you know, just on the day, when he's playing like that, it's just their offense just becomes so much more explosive and so much more threatening. It's not all on Jordan Love's shoulders to, you know, move the ball downfield with the only explosive plays are in the passing game when Aaron Jones isn't out there doing that. Or, or his scrambles. Exactly. And the thing is, Dylan, Dylan's very good. I, maybe not very good. Dylan is a quite a good running back and has been playing very well for the Packers prior to this uh, thumb injury that he had. But And he was still able to play today, but he, he doesn't provide, like we talked about last week, actually, that level of explosiveness to the offense that they'd really been missing. Yeah. Um, He's more of a UL classic kind of grinder. He has a decent success rate, but not very many explosives. No, he's he's his success rate always ranks as one of the better ones in the league. And I think there's value there. It keeps the offense on schedule, prevents them from getting into third and longs. You know, there's value there, but it's just not quite the same level of value that an explosive runner like Jones um, has. Overall, though, Dad, the offense, like we're talking about good things. There's a lot of good things on the offense today. Um, amongst offenses uh, in week 16, they had the highest EPA per play of any of the 32 teams They had the uh, at 0.286. They had the fourth highest success rate of any offense this week at 51.5%. Second highest dropback EPA per play, or EPA per dropback, that is, the Ram- only the Rams were ahead of them. They had the seventh highest dropback success rate. They have the fifth highest EPA per rush this week and the fourth highest rushing success rate. Overall, the offense was just great. And the player that I wanted to highlight was Jordan Love, because in this game, 
you you got to just consider the fact that he was without Christian Watson, Jaden Reed, Luke Musgrave coming into the game, and then lost on Tavian Wicks before halftime. And those guys are all four of their top five players in targets, receptions, and receiving yards on the year. Each of them are in the top five in those metrics. I guess the only thing they left was, was Dobbs. Dobbs is the only, is the fifth in each, actually each of those metrics. Um, he was 17 of 28 for 219 yards and two touchdowns, despite missing all of those weapons. He actually had the best EPA per play or EPA per, yeah, EPA per play that is, or dropback, I suppose, in this, in this instance of any quarterback in week 16 with at least 20 dropbacks. And that's amongst 33 different quarterbacks. Um, he had the seventh best dropback success rate amongst quarterbacks in that sample as well this week. Um, and then his completion percentage over expectation was a little bit down. He was only 19th in the league, so more middle of the pack. But on that game-winning drive, because, you know, they go into that drive tied 30-30, to 30, and you're like, you cannot afford to give the Panthers if the you, ball back if here. If they went three and out on that one, they could have easily lost this game. Well, just like you were saying, I mean, they probably would have, because we'll talk about it later. The Packers' defense did not stop the Panthers at all in the second half. Almost, almost the entire second half. And especially those last few drives. And we saw, you know, 19 seconds was pretty much enough to take that game-winning field goal for them. They needed 19 and a half. You know, honestly, we probably would have had enough time to have a drive of our own if we had gone three and out there. (laughs) Because we were letting them march down the field at will. If they scored in 20 seconds, we would have had some time left. Exactly. But on that game-winning drive, like I was saying, a massive 36-yard completion on third and four from their own 31. They are probably giving up that game, or at least the they're going to lose the lead on some kind of drive from the Panthers if they don't get that third down conversion there. Um, and then right after that, a laser beam to Tucker Craft in about a window the size of the football for 20 yards to change what would have been a 51-yard field goal to pretty much a chip shot. Um, he was responsible for 56 of their 61 yards on that last drive. I mean, he was he was very good in in this game. Lots of big time plays. Um, the yardage doesn't look great, but also the you know they were they were able to run the ball pretty consistently in this one. And really, this is like the only game I would say he's had a like borderline dominant run game where he hasn't had to carry the yeah. whole offense. But when it came down to it, he did carry the whole offense at the end of the game when they really needed to score because it was looking dire there at the end. As soon as they tied it up thirty to thirty, I was like. Are we really gonna lose? Are we really gonna lose to the Panthers? Yeah, because even even uh, Jones's game against the Bears at the beginning of the season when he had the big game, there was actually a lot of receiving yardage. Yes, exactly, and and he was you know helping a lot out a lot with that, but and doing a lot of yards after catch. There it was not all <laughs> not really all Jordan Love, but this was the first time. I mean, like we said, first hundred yard rusher on the season. And speaking of on the season, Jordan Love just you know keeping some things in perspective. He's now at 3,587 yards, 27 touchdowns, 11 picks, a 62.5% completion percentage. I found this one interesting, Dad. This is not just for this season. This is across his entire career. But per Tyler Brook on Twitter, Jordan Love is the sixth fastest quarterback in NFL history to throw for 30 career touchdowns at just 591 attempts. And then per Zach Jacobson, the 24 completions of 30-plus yards that he has had this year is the most by a Packers quarterback since Rodgers' MVP year in 2020. So... Rodgers in 2021 didn't do that when it was MVP year. Rodgers last year, you know, with the hurt thumb, you know, obviously struggled to throw the ball deep, didn't, wasn't able to do that. So, you know, a very good year for Love if you're comparing it to an MVP season from Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I mean, Love's looking, the numbers are really looking good by the end of the year. And a lot, and just a lot of high-level plays. The, the pass to Kraft, uh, the touchdown pass to Wicks, the touchdown pass to Dobbs. Yeah, I mean, he was dealing out there. It was it was a nice game from Love, I thought, in my opinion, and not the gaudiest of numbers, you know, only throwing for 219 yards, only draw, only really having 29 attempts on the game is a pretty low amount for him. You know, we've seen him up at that 40 mark before, 
But yeah, a nice, efficient game where he didn't have to do everything, but he put the team on his back when he needed to. Dad, I noticed you had a few more positives from the offense as well before we get to maybe a couple of negatives. I just had one, a few a few shout-outs. Shout-out to Josiah DeGuara yes. for hustling to recover Dobbs' fumble. Uh, that was the last touchdown drive of the Packers when the lead had already been cut to 23-16. He hasn't been getting a lot of snaps, but... This one was huge. So yeah, I want to and, give him give him some props for that. And we've definitely criticized Josiah DeGuara for, you know, kind of struggling to fill that tight end void when the young guys were still coming along and maybe at times, you know, blocking their ability to play. But that was a huge play. And that's on, arguably maybe, you know, his biggest play as a Packer? No, maybe not. Nah, maybe that might be stretching a, bit, that's, in a that's little bit. A little bit. But maybe but but one, of the, one of his bigger plays of this, this, of, uh, of this season, season, for sure, yes. It was excellent. Um, honestly, tight end room as a whole was very good. I thought Kraft played excellently in this one. Um, like we said, uh, Dontavian Wicks played quite well until he had to go out injured. I thought, you know, the young guys that were out there, Bo Melton had quite the game. And that's something that actually that's made like me think that we'll talk about. Him, right. Yeah. That we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, Dad, do you have any other positives or you want to talk well, about some negatives? I would say like the O-line only gave up one sack and five and five total pressures out of 30 dropbacks. It's not bad. So, so that's pretty good. Even you know, for some reason they didn't grade out well. Yeah. But I thought as a group. Overall, the 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 overall performance was was yeah only gave us those five pressures against the D line with Brian Burns on it. Um, ran the ball well all day, six yards a carry. I I agreed that I was a little surprised to see the PFF grades not really reflect um the yeah. success they had both running and passing yeah, and protecting and, and, him. And, but and the, yeah, the run. Well, I was going to talk about the, the the run blocking in a bit. And 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 Dobbs, who you know I want to mention as as another good thing, he's led the team with seventy nine um, receiving yards. Caught a TV, t- TV, caught a TV, caught a TD, and led the team with four first downs. Yeah, and had that big catch, like we said, that thirty-six yarder. That you know, if he doesn't come down with that, I don't think they win this game. When, so, when was there a quote from Raptors like, "I had three steps"? They asked him. Yeah, they asked him about whether or not he. I think asked him about whether or not he thought it was complete, and he was like, "I, I took three steps before I went out of bounds." I don't know. That's a, that's a catch in pretty much every rule book. I think he was saying so. But yeah, an exciting game from him, and really important to see him step up when you know the other four of the top five guys are not in it's an impressive day from him um dad any negatives though that you saw from the offense in this one i have one the only thing that i was going to say is that in the second half the offense did stall out a good amount um five total drives in the second half three of those were three and outs which you do not want to see um on those three and outs they totaled negative one yards between those three drives um and each three and out was subsequently followed by a panthers touchdown so that's a bit you know, not great to see them kind of stumble a little bit. You wonder if it's like, okay, Wicks is out. You're down another pass catcher and you really are struggling to move the ball. I was looking at each drive to see if there was like some parallels between like, oh, is it because they started trying to run clock out and got a little more conservative? It's like, well, one drive, they took a big sack. Another drive, they got it to like third and five and just couldn't quite get there. Another drive, they just, you know, run, run, and then pass, yeah, couldn't some... quite get there. It, it was just one of those things that I think, you know, maybe is a little bit of noise, but at the same time, three three and outs out of five drives and a half when the other team is mounting touchdown drive after touchdown drive after touchdown drive is not really where you want to be as an offense. It was not all sunshine and rainbows in this game yeah. for the and, offense, but at the same time, 33 points is a good amount. And this may be where some of the negatives in the PFF grades are coming out, that that second half performance with a offense kind of bogged down and mostly didn't do much with three three and outs and what i had is that just so despite jones's success running the ball overall 
This is actually the worst graded run blocking game for the Green Bay for, on the season, according to PFF. Yeah, that's what I'm just like. I'm so surprised by that. But they did have not very many successful runs. It's like I still a little bit. Uh, I don't know if it quite matches up with every with the eye test everywhere. And but only and Runyon is only with an average grade blocking. Yeah, and speaking of Runyon, that was actually something that if you want to move on to the things that made us think, that was another thing that made me think in this game. Something that I had kind of questions about is Sean Ryan, once again, took 50% of the snaps at right guard. Uh, him and Runyon both played 33 snaps for PFF. Um, PFF, you know, grades aren't always perfect, but they are another piece of data. Um, they had him as as Ryan grading out as a better pass protector, uh, no pressures on 15 pass blocking snaps to Runyon's one pressure on 18 pass blocking snaps, but Runyon having a better day blocking on run plays. So I thought that was interesting. And then the other thing that made me think was Bo Melton in this one. Four catches on six targets for 44 yards. He kind of, you know, got thrust into a bigger role with uh, Watson and Reed out. And my question is, uh, will he, I have two questions, Dad. Will he take Toure's spot on the 53? Or, and should he take Toure's spot on the 53? Because right now he's just a practice squad guy. And I believe he is out of call-ups on the season off the practice squad. Although he might have one more now that I'm thinking about it. But at the same time, I thought he showed more in this game than Toure has most of the year. Um, you know, has had looked like a very competent NFL receiver and looked to be, you know, provide that speed element. I think they like him more on motions. They gave him a handoff in this one. Uh, they like him more on motions than Toure, that is. Um, and you know, it's, I think maybe it's especially with Watson and Reed out, they needed that role to have someone come I, in motion. But I do wonder, you know, he might just be a better player than Toure. Yeah. And he's, he is the, uh, I think the second fastest receiver on the team. Well, maybe it's between him and Reed. But he's another speed receiver and probably the only one left on the team with Reed and Watson both out. But it's interesting to see that, you know, he had 25 snaps to Toure's seven and 15, 15 um, pass plays to Toure's six. Yeah. So it, maybe he's already ahead of him on the depth chart. It could be a role thing. You know, maybe if Watson and Reed were available and like Dobbs and Wicks and another receiver were out, maybe they would have gone Toure as well as a more traditional receiver. And they just wanted to have a speed threat with those two guys out specifically. But I mean, I feel like Melton showed us more in this game than Toure has the last two years, maybe, I think, arguably. So I, I do wonder if, you know, they, yeah. they move him up and bring Toure down and see if they can sneak Toure back on the practice squad because they're going to run out of call-ups with Melton. I believe they're already out, but if they're not, they only have one more. So, yeah. And yeah, it seems like Toure's role on the team has been decreasing as the year has gone on. I mean, yeah, he's been a healthy scratch in most of these games and they're out of receivers and he's still not getting snaps. I, I, I do think, it, I wonder if it's that time. Um, Dad, anything that made so you think of this The thing one? that made us think is, so Tucker Kraft, we talked about how good he looks out there, catching the ball in traffic, still producing yak after after catching it with guys around him. He had four receptions for 60 yards to finish tied for first in receptions and second in yards. Um, but the only thing I want to ask, what, what makes me think is, what is he thinking in hurdling another defender after catching a helmet Right to the stones last week. Did you see he liked the, um, the, the, someone made a meme that was like, I like hurdles. It was like a meme off the, I like turtles meme from forever ago. And he, he either retweeted it or liked it. But I mean, no fear, I guess. That's the tight, that's, it's very tight end mentality, isn't just, I'm just going to keep jumping. Yep. Um, but yeah, hey, don't be afraid to jump. But yeah, no, anything else from the offense in this one, dad? I think, you know, generally a very positive day from the offense. Uh, exciting stuff from Jordan Love to watch him do what he, you know, have a good game without most of his weapons available. Um, you know, put up 33 points in the NFL is no easy feat. Yeah, I mean, as you said, he's like, he 
now he's got like one week after another where he's in like the, the top 10 or five yeah. in the league. Exactly. Um, but dad, it's not all, like we said earlier, not all sunshine and rainbows. No, speaking about players playing this game, like they're in the top 10 or five. Yeah. Bryce not, Young did. Yes, exactly. And he hadn't before this. Um, we're going to move to the defense. Just, you know, bear with us. We're going to be, there's going to be all over the place because I think there's a lot to talk about and there's a lot of discussions to be had. And I think, you know, it's one of those all roads lead to, please, let's just get a new defensive coordinator in this building. It doesn't even need to be a new person in the building. I just think at this point, a new voice would be helpful. Joe Barry seems like a nice enough guy, but there's someone else who deserves a better, like someone else deserves this opportunity more than him at this point. Um, What they're saying, though, this was Matt LaFleur. Quote, that was definitely frustrating, but it wasn't just on the defense. Offensively, you've got to give them a breather, especially if we're bleeding a little bit defensively. We've got to find a way to put together a scoring draft, find a way to get some first downs to allow these guys to recover. Um, I see what he's saying. Three, three and outs in the second half is not ideal. But at the same time, like the defense stat is the one that's supposed to be yeah. picking the offense. This up. is the comment I put in. Like, excuse me, but wasn't the plan supposed to be that the experienced defense would carry the inexperienced offense this year? Has that happened in a game? Like, what is there been a game where the defense really just carried the carried team? the team? I mean, the only one that I can really think of is arguably maybe the Saints game where they didn't allow the Saints to score in the second half, but that was with no Derek Carr. Um, say, or or against the Rams when they had uh, yeah the Rams when they had no Matt Stafford. You know, the only the other one is the Vikings. I would say where the defense did give them chances to get themselves back in that game. That was a rough. That was a rough game by the offense yeah. that week. There, there are there may be some, but I don't. I mean, I see what Lafleur is doing. He doesn't want to be like, oh yeah, the defense was terrible. It's their fault. I know. I see how he's like trying to like essentially distribute blame amongst the team. I don't know that he actually believes this, but it is like. <laughs> and no, the question it's not. is whether the players believe it or not. But it, but it is sort of like you don't want to set two halves of the team against each other. Yeah, I, exactly, and. Let's just, you know, get some of the good stuff from but the defense out of the way. We're not coaches or in the locker room, so we will tell, we, yes. we'll say what we think. Exactly. But let's start with some of the good stuff so we can end on the bad stuff. Let's get out of the way. Um, Dad, the, I have a couple things. The first is that they were trying to do different stuff. They are not banging their head, a wall, head against the wall, doing the same thing over and over again, I guess. Um, per Paul Brettle, the Packers blitzed on a season-high 44% of dropbacks uh, against Bryce Young and played man on a season-high 64% of dropbacks. So they're trying something. Uh, in the first three quarters, it worked. Uh, Young was 3 of 10 against the Blitz and 8 of 15 against man. Uh, it did fall apart in the fourth, though. He was 4 of 6 with two touchdowns against the Blitz in the second in the fourth quarter and 7 of 9 for 90 yards uh, against man coverage. So um, they tried to do something different. You go, you'd be like, hey, you're not just running your head to a brick wall, I guess. Um, their traditional run defense was better. Um, 19 carries for 46 yards from the Panthers running backs, just 2.4 yards per carry. Only four of those 19 carries were successful per RBSDM. That 21% would be sixth lowest rushing success rate on the week. Um, unfortunately, they did allow, you know, some scrambles and some end arounds to Amir Smith-Marset that, you know, bumped those rushing numbers up. But the traditional against the running back defense was was pretty good. And then the last one I had is we now know exactly how much time <laughs> is too much time to give up because 19 seconds, if we give it back to them, they're no not going to get a field goal. No t- it's no going to be and no timeouts. That's right. Twenty seconds, they'll get it. Nineteen seconds, they won't because in nineteen seconds with no timeouts, the Panthers went forty-four yards in two plays to set up a forty-nine-yard field goal. Um, the only thing that stopped them was they needed one more second. But Dad, that's a good thing. We now know more than twenty seconds. 
they're going to score. Less than 20 seconds and no timeouts, we're going to be all right. That's that's the real oh, positive here. Only if they pass the ball into the middle on one of those two plays. Yes, of course, of course. Uh, but, Dad, let's get the positives out of the way. There were a couple, but uh, mostly a pretty... I mean, yeah, the pass so, defense specifically was just but, horrendous. But I will say, one of the good things I had was, like, on 40 dropbacks, the Packers got 18 pressures, including three sacks um, credited for a respectable 45% pressure rate. So that's, that's pretty that, That's good. Preston led the way with, with five pressures, including being in on two sacks. And as we said during the game, like he's just a pro. Yeah, he's reliable he's a very and he good does year. his job. And the other thing that we commented on is Lucas Van Ness. I was going to say, yeah. Chasing after Young on a play. And, to, and overall, just a, play. a pretty good game. Uh, you know, graded out well yeah. per PFF, however much um, energy but, you want to put into that. Um, I'm watching that play thinking, Bryce Young, you don't know how fast how, this big man is. Run how close he is coming to just, you know, yeah, lay you out if you didn't throw behind. that ball. Exactly. And, and I, I think Lucas Van Ness had a good one in this game. Um, there were, like, some individual players who had, had decent games, I thought. Um, specifically, like you said, Preston and Van Ness. Um, beyond that, though, Dad, a pretty negative day from the defense. Let's get into it. I just want to give you some stats. Um Coming into this game, the Panthers were 29th in EPA per play on offense and 30th in success rate. This week, they ranked 6th in EPA per play on offense and 11th in success rate. Some other fun stats. Coming into this game, the Panthers had not scored an offensive touchdown in either of their last two games, either. Not a single touchdown combined amongst two games, eight quarters. They scored four touchdowns in this game on offense. (laughs) Coming into this game, Bryce Young had not scored a touchdown in four straight games, 16 straight quarters. And he had not thrown for over 200 yards in seven straight games. And he had only thrown for 200 yards in four of his 13 games this season. And he threw for 312 yards and two touchdowns in this game. Her yeah, Paul, this it, is only his second multi-touchdown game of the year. And was this the most yards of, on the season? I forget if this is most or second most. Oh, easily his most yards on the season. He hadn't thrown for over 300 once this year he'd only thrown for over 200 four times this year i i mean i it was an unconscionable just i don't even want to call it a collapse i mean it was just bad they just let bryce young throw the ball all over him a guy who has struggled all year like we said seven straight games of under 200 yards like 170 yards it's not like he's not throwing the ball they're losing in a lot of these games and he can't hit 200 yards and he hit 300 yards against us per paul brettle Eric Stokes, Jair Alexander, and Keyshawn Nixon were targeted 15 times for 13 completions and 191 yards and two touchdowns and no pass breakups. Not a single one. So the coverage was terrible. Keep in mind that the receivers are DJ Chark, who looked like prime oh, Megatron man, he in, this game. in this game. Oh my goodness. And then Adam Thielen, who's 100 years old. And let me say you're having a good year, but he's 100 years old. Per PFF, the D-line wasn't particularly great either. I mean, they were better than the secondary, but Young was pressured 14 times, which is the third fewest in a game for him this year. And he was sacked just two times, the second fewest in a game for him this year. We talked about coming into this game that at a, amongst a quarterbacks playing at least 50% of snaps this season, he had the worst pressure to sack ratio in the league. And We've heard this before. Oh no, and th- we talked about this. It was like With they couldn't Tommy get to Tommy DeVito. At least they got to Young twice in this one, which you know, as a step up, I guess. But when you're comparing it to like, oh, the defense got walked all over by Tampa last week. At least the defense had five sacks on Baker Mayfield. Not only were they letting Bryce Young, who's nope. w- who's worse than Baker Mayfield, who has a worse receiving core than Baker Mayfield, a worse offensive line than Baker Mayfield, throw up and down the field on them. They weren't even getting to him. 
So I would say this was worse than last week, in my opinion. But they did get more pressures than they got. I mean, they got five sacks on Baker, but they only had like nine pressures. This is true. This is true. They got more pressures in this game, but you should expect to get more pressures against an offensive line that's one of the worst in the league. Oh, yeah. As opposed to an offensive line. Those are not like opponent-corrected pressure rates. Yeah. So, But the defense, pass defense specifically, was just atrocious on the season the Packers are now down to 30th in DVOA on defense it's hard to believe there are two teams worse <laughs> we were thinking they might have been last after this performance against the, la- the worst team in the league yeah I mean you give up 30 th- uh, 30 points to a team that's averaging like eight they didn't this team did not score a touchdown on the Falcons last week they won the game nine to seven the, like th- they don't score points and we give up 30 30 dad 30 points to the Panthers this team has two wins on the season Yep. Yeah, I have some of the I think some of the things I have are overlapping. So he was third in the league this week, week 16, um, in EPA plus CPOE for RBSDM behind only Matt Stafford and Baker Mayfield. For comparison, in weeks one through 15, he was 36th um, amongst all QBs with at least 200 snaps. It was, I mean, so 31st out of 36. So near the bottom, not, not third. Um, so now with Baker Mayfield's perfect game and Tommy DeVito the week before, this is like, Three straight games where you've given up essentially a QB's career best game. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Because he is also nominated for NFC Offensive Player of the Week. Has he been? Yes, he has. <laughs> we are, all, we are, we, we joked about this before the game. It's like, oh, watch, it's going to be, it's going to be Bryce Young next. Guaranteed Bryce Young Masterclass. And we were right. And it's, it's just, at least they were trying different things, I guess, in this game, but it's just bad. It's all bad. Um, yeah. They need to move on. It, this cannot continue. Yeah. I don't understand. What you gain by having Joe Barry coach out these last two games? Um, people are like, "What do you gain by firing him?" You don't lose anything. I, I can't imagine I think, how they play worse than they've been playing. I think what you do is you gain credibility by holding people accountable for doing their jobs well. Yeah, for you mean for not doing their jobs well, but yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that, that people have to do their jobs well, and that the the locker room will listen to you more because there, it matters. There, there needs to be a standard for coaches because if there if a player was playing how to the level that Joe Barry is coaching, where he was the third worst at his job, he would not be on the team anymore. Players are cut every day in the NFL, cut from practice squads, cut from rosters, they with no guaranteed money on the books. Like you can feel bad for Joe Barry the person, but at the same time, he has had three years to get this defense right. In the first year their defense was pretty good. And last year their defense ended the season pretty well. But I think they've been more than fair with him. He's had several di- jobs at different places. I think he could he still could still be a good linebacker coach in the NFL. He's coached linebackers well in a lot of different places. But defensive coordinator wise, I mean, let, we just he have has to, never succeeded. He hasn't. Yes, and and he seems like a nice guy, but he's yeah. had opportunities. Someone else. I, I, if you want to, it's it's fine to be like I feel bad for Joe Barry, like for calling for him to be fired. But I feel bad for the person who's not getting an opportunity as a defensive coordinator who deserves an opportunity because p- people who are not as qualified or would not do as good a job are still holding on to these positions. And so it's just kind of, it seems like they're going to just ride out the season and I guess maybe make a move in the offseason. If they don't make a move in the offseason, I mean, pitchforks and torches, folks. Like I think at that point, then LaFleur has essentially tied himself to Barry to get fired. 
I if, can't if think Barry of, has another year like this year, then LaFleur would be gone too if he refuses to get rid of him. I can't think of anything more depressing than, because I think LaFleur is a great coach and he's the work he's done with this offense, missing pieces, youngest offense in the league, cheapest offense in the league, top 10 in almost every metric. I, I could not think of a single thing more depressing than losing Matt LaFleur because he will not give up on Joe Barry. That would just be, that would be so sad to me yeah. because, I mean, he's given, you've given Joe his chances, man. He's had opportunities. You are you have been more than fair to him. It's time. Yeah. It is time. I had a and I had still a few little things that some of this you you've talked about, but they only had one pass breakup for the entire game. It's the even worse than the Tampa game, game where they had two for the entire game. The coverage and, has and been the three, terrible. Their three starting corners, they're passing um, Jair, Stokes, and Nixon. The passing ratings into their coverage were 118.8. 125.8 and 118.8. <sighs> it's really bad. I have some and, some and, notes. I have some notes on those corners that I want to add in the what we're thinking about section. But yeah, go ahead. Sorry. And as you mentioned, they got they. Uh, I think uh, and I saw this, and I think maybe it was Paul Brettel, 191 yards on 13 to 15 passing. So that equates to a 12.7 yards per attempt. The league leader this season is Brock Purdy at 9.7. Was that in the second half of this game? No, that was just to Jair Stokes and Nixon. Oh yes, yes, yeah. No, that's. Uh, things that made me think, though, uh, anything else you want negative? Because I want to talk a little bit about that corner room and why they maybe decided to go that direction. Do you have anything else you want to add? Well, I would just add a little um, thing that also made me think was shorter than what you've got. So, and it ties a little bit maybe into a negative. Should Carl Brooks be ahead of um, Wyatt on the depth chart? Brooks um, had the highest defensive grade on the team for the game, and Wyatt was last with over two times as many snaps. And Brooks had two pressures to Wyatt's one and no missed tackles to Wyatt's one. Uh, what do you think about Wyatt's season? I feel like he's actually had an under-the-radar decent season, but not to the level of, like, you know, a first-round pick right. that you would he, hope for. He, he's been better than, I think, the criticism he's been getting. But Brooks has been playing well. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I think we'd have to see it for a few more games because there's certainly been games where Wyatt's been better than Brooks. Yeah, but um, I would like to see more. I'd like to see Brooks get more chances. That's fair. That's fair. For me, the thing that made me think, they went back to Stokes and Jair on the outside as corners, and they sent Carrington Valentine to the bench in this game. He had just three total snaps, the lowest on the team of any player on defense. And I honestly think Valentine's been better than either of them this year, even Jair. Um, some stats per PFF. Jair has allowed 24 completions on 31 targets for 326 yards. That's 10.5 yards a target and a 77% completion percentage into his coverage. Stokes in limited snaps, admittedly. Eight completions on 10 targets for 112 yards. That's 11.2 yards per target and an 80% completion percentage. So both are allowing over 10 yards a target and over 75% completion percentage into their coverage. Valentine, on the other hand, has allowed 29 completions, but on 50 targets for 356 yards. So just 7.12 yards per target and a 58% completion percentage when targeted. Jair also has a higher missed tackle rate than Valentine. Stokes has not missed a tackle yet, but he's only missed three total tackles. And Jair does have a higher forced incompletion rate per PFF. Um, so there are there's some metrics that would tell you Jair's having a better year. And Stokes, you know, I think he you could argue he needs the reps because he's missed so much time and you want to really just get him ready for next year. But at the same time, Valentine needs those snaps for development too. And I think he's been the best corner on the roster this year. So I'm really surprised that not only did they bump Jair and Stokes ahead of him, that they just gave him no snaps at all. After what arguably I'd say he's been their best corner this season. Wouldn't you say that? 
he's been looking good, and I'd like to see him play more. One thing I want to dig into the numbers a little bit, and uh, though this, this may still hold up, is like um, when you get targeted, it means a little something about your coverage often. That's true. And so I would like to see, you know, maybe um, receptions per route, per, per um, snap. coverage snap. That's fair. And yards per coverage snap would be an interesting metric, which you have to do a little bit of work. I have to, and I haven't done this yet. Do a little work ourselves to see what that actually comes out to. For yes. Well, just eyeballing it. Valentine has taken, has had five more completions into his coverage and 30 more yards into his coverage than Jair. Despite the fact that Jair has missed six games. Yeah. So I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I think it's pretty safe to say that, J- that Valentine has allowed far fewer yards per coverage snap and far fewer completions per coverage snap. Yes. Um, Valentine has about 50% more um, coverage snaps than Jair. Yeah, despite having, and only five more completions and uh, 30 more yards in that time. Yeah. So I, I think by, by that, most... By, by that metric as well, it's still looking like Valentine. Yeah, so I, I just wonder, you like, it's okay to have Stokes and Jair ahead of him. I understand why you would, but to take them all the way down to almost no snaps at all feels like a mistake to me. And once again, a mistake in how they're using players on defense because it's not just results on this defense in my opinion you can you, i you can look at the results and be like the results are bad the process is bad too until this game they really did not try many things in terms of sending extra rushers or playing more man coverage um they're kind of out of being a cover 2 team they play cover 3 almost exclusively right now and i do you know commend them for trying new things in this game but you see stuff process wise where it's like okay, why are these players playing like this, like 10 yards off? Why is Keyshawn Nixon guarding three guys against Tampa on third and three? Oh, man. Like, why, why that was, is... That was almost a comedy. Why is no one on uh, fourth and inches in the A-gap and Bryce Young is just able to sneak it easily? There's no one there. It's like they, once again, probably a quote-unquote communication issue. That's on the defensive coordinator too. Like not having a guy in an A gap in an obvious quarterback sneak situation. I don't care if Bryce Young is 5'10, 190, and they've never snuck him before. If there's no one in the gap, they're gonna he's just gonna take a step forward and fall down, which is what he did, and he got the first down. He doesn't have to push anybody. It doesn't yeah. matter how big he is. Exactly. It's just it's, there's nobody there. It reminds me of the uh the, the play we talked earlier in the season where there's like one defender from tight end to tight end yeah inside the five and it's just it's mind-boggling and at this point like i don't think there are any excuses that can be made i can't imagine there's anything joe barry could do to really salvage this it feels like the locker room is not really in lockstep either with what is going on i mean how can you be confident in what you're doing each week when you're giving up 30 points to the worst team in the league to one of the worst offenses in the league how can you be confident in what you're doing as a defense when you see Tommy DeVito get benched this week after do, being able to do nothing last week and he looked like a viable starting NFL quarterback and one player of the week against you? Like, right. how can you have any confidence in what you're doing right now as a team? After that game, he was player of the week. And it was like, ooh, maybe they should be going with DeVito over Daniel Jones. Yeah, no. And that's a real conversation. And I've seen some tweets like, see, Bryce Young's not the problem in Carolina. And that might be true. But I just want to note, that they gave they made Tommy DeVito look like an NFL quarterback and a and a strong runner, ten carries for seventy one yards. He's never doing that again. They made Baker Mayfield a perfect passer rating, over ten yards of dropback. I mean, I'm just saying Bryce Young might still be good, but I think it says a lot more about the Packers defense than anything 
and I don't want to pile on anymore because we already have a lot, to be honest, this entire season, but they just need to make a change. And, and it's just, it's beyond time. They've given this defensive staff, I, I think full clean house, honestly. I think, I don't think I want to see, I mean, maybe the outside linebackers coach Rebovich is perhaps the only one that I could be like, okay, like I, I see the growth from some of these players. I see these players playing at a higher level. You can make the argument there. Safeties coach, I guess the safeties are playing above their head. I would say above what above they, what people expected before the year started, but they're still, you know, it's and still so not good. it's hard to punish the coach with the, you know, the limited resources they put into the position. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know, but I I still think they need a full clean house. I think they need a full philosophy change. I don't think, I I mean, you can play too high and not be passive, and I think that's the big thing. Like the Ravens play a lot of too high but they're super aggressive with it and they have the players to be aggressive with it on the back end to be fair like they have better players but it's not like the Packers haven't invested in the secondary heavily so I I don't think and maybe some of those players are actually not good you know that's fair maybe they took the wrong players but there are other coordinators getting more out of their defense I've said this a lot of times there are other coordinators getting more out of less talented rosters than Barry is able to get and I mean there's nowhere really below like you're at 30th in DVOA on defense like there's like the teams below you have just been bad the whole year like and have bad offenses that like make it more difficult on them so I don't know I don't know it's 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 beyond time I don't really have anything else to say on that dad anything else you wanted to add on the defense or should we move to special teams no and I don't I don't have anything more to say on defense and I don't have and there's not much to say about special teams in this game well only thing I'm going to say about special teams is Rich Bisaccia should be thanking his lucky stars every day for Joe Barry, because Joe Barry is the lightning rod that is keeping Rich Bisaccia safe, because this special team is terrible. Um, the missed extra point was a bad yeah, snap. Another- a high snap, another bad snap from Orzek, who they paid to come in this offseason. Bad. More penalties on on the special teams again. I mean, they're the most penalized special teams unit in the entire league, despite all this, despite you know, drafting special teamers, signing special teamers to contracts in the offseason, using roster spots on special teamers that not a lot of teams do, making Bisaccia the assistant head coach, giving him input on roster decisions. They're bringing his guys in. Dalton Levitt was brought here. He's gone now, but he was never good. Keyshawn Nixon was brought here because he was a Bisaccia guy. Um, they're bringing in guys like Rudy Ford, who's a special teams only dude. They're, they're bringing in special teams only players. Eric Wilson's a special teams only player. And the special teams is still terrible. I mean, shout out Carlson for that big 53-yard maker. Uh, sorry, make, big 53-yard make um, that put them in the, uh, like, kept them alive, essentially going. But uh, it's just, it's it's very frustrating because, you know, there's no way they're going to move on from both coordinators in one offseason. And if you have to pick one, you got to move on from Barry. You just have to. But I don't think Passaccia is doing a very good job this season at all. And I'm very skeptical because... He's never led a special teams unit that's above 13th in DVOA in his career, I don't believe. The reason he got this job was because he was such a good interim coach with the Raiders. It had nothing to do with his special teams coordinating. So, and I mean, they they are not as bad at special teams as they were before he got there. But the improvement is not worth the investment that they put in, in my opinion. You were hoping for better, especially in year two. The thought was, okay, when he's had a time, it's usually like, you see the be- the biggest improvement in the second year. First year, maybe a modest improvement, which we got. And so we were hoping that this year we would see the returns on the investment into the special teams. And we've actually gone backwards. Yes. And just 
to me, a lot of these penalties are like people not knowing rules and like basic teaching points. Like remember when Quay Walker ran up and jumped over the line for that big penalty against the Lions? And it's like, okay, so he didn't know the rule. That's on the coordinator. We see guys lined up offsides on kickoffs. That's on the coordinator. Like stuff like that, where it's just like, guys, we just, we just don't know the rules. Like we're just not teaching them what they need to know. Like they're in the classroom all off season. Some of these guys are special teams only players. Like, yeah. like what are we doing here? Um, but no, yeah, I would say, you know, the missed PAT is not on Carlson to me. Um, that snap was terrible. Otherwise, I thought Carlson had a good game. Um, you, ideally, you'd like to see him still make that, but the, the operation was off from the start. Um, the snapping's been off all season. Um, they didn't allow any punt returns to Carolina, which is nice. And Keyshawn had a good kickoff return, a 38-yarder. Um, but I'm still, I would say, very underwhelmed by the special team performance this season. Yeah, I was going to say about the the return of the... And, and Wheeler did a decent job punting. Was punting and, and uh, so to the average and also not giving up returns. So that was, that was the bright side for the special teams. But the, the, the penalties was the downside. Yeah. All right, Dad. Well, let's wrap this thing up. Player of the game, who'd you get? Jordan Love. Yeah, same. He's, you had to be. Just, he's just been so good. Yes, he's been he's been really good. He's been really freaking good. I mean, put the team on his back in this one without most of his weapons. Um, led the league in EPA per, uh, drop back this uh, this week. I mean, well, what more is there to say? I, I think it's really exciting what he's able to do. Honestly, he's carrying the team in a lot of ways right now. Yeah. He's, I mean, this was the first game they really had a competent rushing attack, but like at the same time he's been carrying this team for several weeks now and it's 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 exciting to watch but yeah. it's first, also first year starter carrying in, the team in some ways kind of frustrating to watch that he has to do all that but you know it's it's i it makes me excited for what's coming like what's what's about moving forward i suppose um but dad anything else you want to say about the packers or should we wrap things up here i think it's time to wrap things up all right we've done our ranting and raving we've gotten excited about the offense we've gotten angry about the defense like we said earlier if you like what you heard here today Come give us a follow on Twitter at FathersUnpacker. We tweet out when we have new episodes out, articles we find interesting, pieces of stats we find when we're doing our research for these uh, episodes, videos we find interesting, pieces of Packers news and notes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, you know, wherever you can find podcasts where we also put all our episodes out on YouTube. Um, If you subscribe to us there, it would really help our numbers. Thank you again, though, so much for listening. Like we said earlier, we'll be doing two episodes a week for the rest of the season pre-games and post-games for every single game. And then during the off-season, we'll still be doing an episode a week talking about the draft, free agency, coaching changes, maybe, hopefully. So keep tuned in that. Keep an eye on your feed. And until next time, go Pack Go. Go Pack Go.